0: All right, so now we're recording, we're up and at them. Okay, my name is Mike Raman, I live in Taiwan. As you can tell from my voice, I'm originally from Canada. So what I'm gonna tell you about is how I got a job teaching English. When I was in university, I thought about going to Japan and I was thinking about, you know, what's the easiest way to get to Japan? And because I'm Canadian, I was thinking, you know what? Maybe I could teach English in Japan. And at the time, the salary for English teaching in Japan was pretty high, I would say. But nothing could really prepare me for the cost of living in Japan, which is something I guess I'll talk about later. So anyway, a friend of mine, actually I had a couple of friends of mine who are from South Korea. Their parents were anyway. And they told me that, you know, maybe you could go teach English in South Korea. And I actually was looking at a newspaper, because you know this is, kind of dates my age a bit, about how old I am, because I was actually looking at a newspaper ad instead of looking for, you know, well, you get the picture. So I was looking at these classified ads, and they said you could teach English overseas in Korea, and I had no idea what that was about. It, uh, actually, what happened was this guy, Andy, he reached out to me, and actually I gave him my phone number. I mean, we had emailed then, obviously, so. He called me and you know, there was like an interview, he seemed like a really nice guy. He told me that somebody would send me a ticket because they were really that desperate for people to come over and teach English at that point in time. They would send me a ticket to go to Korea. So it was kind of almost a little bit of a, a gambit. Like they, they took a chance on somebody just because they needed somebody. Uh, little did I know that the school that I'd go to the first time was pretty horrible. I actually, I got robbed by my friend, my friend, quote unquote. And I, uh, this is actually probably a really long story. I got robbed and I lost my grandma and I got fired in the same three months. So anyway, after that, long story short, I actually got a job with the same working visa because they let me apply for all the documents in another place, which was a flight away Maybe about a twenty or thirty-minute flight away. It's an island off the coast of South Korea called Jeju-do, and I stayed there for a year. And I probably could have stayed there for much longer, but um, you know, it was it was interesting. It was interesting to to stay there, and I really liked the atmosphere there because everybody was pretty easygoing. It was right beside the ocean, and I don't know if you guys like the ocean, but something tells me. When I look at the ocean, it's kind of like, it shows you how insignificant we are. Just how, like we're like a speck of dust in the wind compared to the ocean, the ocean is big, it's immense. And I probably should have stayed there for a couple of years, but I only stayed there for a year. And then after that, I moved back to kind of the mainland of South Korea. Anyway, I came back home. I was, you know, I taught English in Korea, in Japan, in Canada. Eventually, I made it over to Taiwan, and I actually was really lucky because I met a really nice lady recruiter, and this recruiter uh, was willing to take me on. and She told me that she had a job, and I mean, obviously, recruiters are going to get paid for what they do. But she uh, showed me the ropes about Taiwan. I remember the first time that I got to Taiwan, I had no idea about any type of Chinese culture, you know, because. In Taiwan, they speak Chinese, so... I remember going to a restaurant after... Okay, so basically, there was a 16, no, 14-hour flight. There a 14-hour flight to go to Shanghai, China, and then I went to Korea, and I was just fiddling around there for about two months. And then I came to Taiwan, because I had a job. I contacted this lady through email. And so she told me that, yeah, there's a job here, and... I didn't really know that I would be working at that same place for about 50 hours a week with 2-hour breaks in between. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. To me that's that's too much labor. I mean, I don't I don't really want to be at my workplace for more than probably 30 hours. Now I work online so that's not not an issue at all, but so I'm over there and I'm teaching English and I think I I, I stayed there for about 10 months and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to stay there for a 12 month period and they might give you a severance pay. But I didn't. I I left my contract as soon as I could. I couldn't stand it anymore. I think that was probably the first time that I, I yelled so much in my entire life that my whole body shook. I was yelling at my class. That was something I'll probably get into later because you know there's, there's really interest, intricacies about teaching English in a classroom full of 15 students, actually the most that I taught when I was in Taiwan was 17 students. The most that I taught when I was in mainland China was, I think, 40 or 50 students. I think that's pretty impossible. I mean, basically, you have to broadcast your voice really, really loudly, and you have to, you know, keep their attention, even though in mainland China, you have some helpers to help you along doing the teaching. Anyway... So I was in Taiwan for a period of time. I was was living in this place called Taoyuan. You you guys probably don't know the geography of Taiwan, but Taoyuan is a city that's 40 minutes outside of Taipei on the train. And actually, Taoyuan is where the airport is. So at the same time, I was at the airport and it was not far from where my school was. So once I got a chance to quit that job, I moved over to a place that was a little bit closer to the water. And because of my experience in South Korea, I actually was really, I was really happy to see the water again. And the place is called Junan, which is like another probably 40 minutes south. I think, I think, I think. (laughs) I think it takes about an hour or an hour and a half from Junan to go back to Taipei. So that's another, it's a long train ride. And actually there's two types of trains in Taiwan. So this was not connected to the high speed line as far as I remember, or maybe it was. Anyway, it was really long. So the point is that I'm happy at this job, this new place. I have a girlfriend in Taipei, but it's just, you know, I'm going back and forth and and everything. So now that I'm over in this place in Junan, I think it's really great, but now the problem is that the apartment that I'm living in has a glass door and nobody told me that in Juneau it gets really cold. And not the type of cold, because I'm from Canada, so I will, I'm okay with the cold, I'm a soldier, but it's this windy cold. It's like this windy cold that like gets into your skin and into your bones and the only thing that i had that was a barrier between the outside and coming in was this glass so i had this gigantic room which was great but at the same time there's just all this wind coming in so how are you going to sleep when there's just all this wind coming in and i just remember being in that place and it was kind of the worst sleep of my life so i had to get out of there so i think i worked in my place in junan which was it was in english school And actually, before I get too far into it, basically the structure of English schools, if you're thinking about getting into English teaching is, they have these after-school schools, which are cram schools, which are, they're called bùshìbàn in Chinese. And nine times out of 10, if you're gonna be teaching in a school in Taiwan, you're gonna be teaching in one of these places. And it's really up to you on whether or not you can find the right school that's a good fit for you, or that's a good quality school, because there's a lot of schools that are not really that good quality. Nonetheless, I, I went to this school, I won't name the name of the school, but you know they taught American English there. It's a pretty good school. And the boss was really great, I liked the boss a lot. But it's just the weather. So I couldn't really handle it. And I had more connections in Taipei anyway, so I decided to go leave that city and and I went back to Taipei, or not Taipei, sorry, I went to Taoyuan. The point is that I went back to where I came from and I contacted that same recruiter again and then she told me that I could get a job, but I wouldn't be working in just one place, I'd be working in three places. And that, to me, it sounds pretty crazy, but at the same time, you got to take into consideration the first job that I had was, uh, I, I was, I was working there for 50 hours, you know, minus two hour breaks and little breaks in between classes. And each class in my first school was about 45 minutes. So I went to these three new schools, I don't remember all the names of them, but one of them, I was there for maybe five hours a week. All in all, between the three schools, I would teach at the schools for maybe 20, 25 hours a week, not including the time that I had to commute to each of these places. And this was when I was thinking more about, you know, I'm wasting all this time on commuting time. Why don't I just sit down someplace and teach English? That might be a little bit better for me. But So that's what I thought anyway. So. I went to these I went to all these places, and I did it for probably another six months. so all in all my experience in Taiwan, I was here for about two years or two and a half years until I decided, you know what i'm going to go to mainland China because mainland China i don't know if you guys know it's an amazingly huge market for English teaching, and almost anybody can do the English teaching job. most places. For example, in Taiwan, Japan, Korea, people are going to ask you to be a native speaker of English. They're going to ask you for a degree. In mainland China, half of the people, to be honest with you, they don't have, they don't even have a, a, a real working visa, but the ones who do have a working visa, who are legitimate to be there, some of them, I mean, they'll hire Indians, they'll hire... Filipino teachers I had a friend of mine who was over in Shenzhen who is a librarian, but he would teach English courses on the side for their school because that's what people wanted they wanted people to teach them English they want people to they want people to correct their English and he would go out and do that you know even though technically his he speaks English as a second language not a first language even though I know. You know, there's a lot of high quality Filipino English teachers out there. They didn't really care because what they cared about is, you know, do I get to speak English? Because Chinese people in China, they don't really get to speak English on a daily basis. And that's what really they want. They want an English teacher to correct their pronunciation. They want somebody to tell them that they're doing something right. It's it's all about the psychology of it, really. So I, I was in mainland China all in all I would say I was there for about two years and mainland China is a crazy place, it was like a whirlwind. I mean every rule that you think about whatever country in China it's it's upside down and there's just so many people. You know like in Canada when I'm waiting for the bus people they usually they're in a line and they could be in a really long line and they just wait for the bus. But when you're in China, because there's, you know, a hundred or a thousand times more people, it's like they're all crowding in at the same time and everybody's trying to get in. So there's kind of, there's no real line, but they kind of have their own way of doing things. I mean, they're not gonna punch you to try to get to the front, but you know, they might slightly push you out of the way because they want to be the one that's the first one in there. Anyway, I'm getting off topic because my topic here is my job teaching English and where where I am today. So anyway, uh, when I was in mainland China, I made probably the most money that I could uh, as as an English teacher. The starting pay, I think, was about 13,000 renminbi, which is probably, in Canadian dollars, I would say at least it's 2,000. It's probably 2,250 or something, or maybe 2,500. And then on top of that, you can get paid another 100 no maybe i'm going to start at 200 200 to 300 renminbi an hour to teach privately and that's about 40 or maybe 55 bucks an hour in canadian dollars so that's that's nothing to shake a stick at it's a lot of money per hour Well, mind you they're going to work you you know so you might do 2 to 3 hours a day at 200 or 300 renminbi an hour but by the time you're done that you're done you're you're tired. So you either, I guess, A you want to go to the bar to go to relax or go home and then just go to sleep, which is what I would do. So after I I did that for a while, I was teaching English in China for about two years. Then I came back to Taiwan from mainland China to Taiwan. And yeah, so I'm here. While I actually was in Taiwan, the first time I was dabbling in online teaching. And online teaching is really great because you just sign into whatever app that you're into. As long as you have a dependable internet connection, it doesn't have to be totally silent, but you want it to be relatively quiet around you. And you can either teach from your laptop or you can teach from your tablet computer. Usually they want you to have like a sign of whatever company it is in the background and you can get paid fairly well. I mean, I probably made double the amount of money that I'm making as an online teacher right now when I was in mainland China, but at the same time, I don't have any of the headaches. Sometimes the classes can get really noisy. I don't really have to worry about discipline in the class because all of my kids are just online, well, just one-on-one. It's a one-on-one lesson. Sometimes you can have apps where they have, you know, a couple of kids at the same time, and you're teaching them. So, what are the requirements? What are the requirements for teaching English online and for teaching English in general? So usually when you're going to be applying for... You need to apply for a visa when you're going to be teaching somewhere. So you need a university degree and you need at least a TEFL certificate just to show that you've been through some type of training, some type of a course, and you can at least teach grammar. So that's what I did. I have a TEFL certificate from this online company. It's a 100 or 110 hours certificate. I also have a degree from a university in Canada. So that's the minimum bare requirements, which you need, which you need to apply for an English teaching job. And then after that, it's, it's pretty crazy because you just, you're in the classroom and you have a bunch of kids. Some of them, they don't really know how to speak English. And some of them they do. This is why experience is key. Because if you have no experience, but you have the degree, you know, you're just freshly graduated, newly graduated, you have absolutely no idea what to do. That was my situation when I was in Korea the first time. They just put me in a room with five kids and said, go teach them English. And at that point in time, I was just playing games, talking to them if they would listen, because, I mean, they were pretty rowdy, but now I'm pretty well versed in teaching english you stick me in a classroom and i can teach people in a grammar book i teach kids from like six years old all the way up to 17 i guess when they're 16 17 years old maybe even 18 years old what they want to focus on is some type of a test that they need to do for a university maybe ielts TOEFL TOEIC all of these you need to know what they stand for so the ielts test is basically for uh, people to get into university or sometimes it's to immigrate to another country. Anyway, the point is that now I prefer online teaching. I probably won't get back into a classroom again. And you could probably do it too. If you're a native speaker of English, you can you know, find apps. Just go Google online English teaching and there's a lot of different apps you can apply for. And you just have to have a dependable internet connection. You have to have a dependable device. I mean, most apps will say, okay, you can teach from your phone, but I tried to do that. And when I was traveling, my phone burnt out on me because I didn't have enough power. So you're, you're probably going to have to be prepared to fork out a little bit of money on some type of device, but you don't have to do that right away. That's the good part. And especially in the beginning with most of these apps, they're just going to give you a couple of classes just to start out, just to see that if you can handle it. Like for me, in the next three weeks, I have 122 appointments on my English teaching app. And each of the classes is 25 minutes. So I think I'm pretty good. Anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know about uh, where I'm from, what I'm doing, how I got here in terms of English teaching. If you guys have any questions for me, I guess you can let me know through the app. But this is uh, Mike Raman here from Taiwan, originally from Canada, signing off. Catch you guys in the next one. So I want to start this podcast and talk to you guys about being a digital nomad. Now, what is a digital nomad exactly? A digital nomad is somebody basically who has what's called location independence. So they can basically work from wherever they want. Now, I would guess maybe in the olden days, I guess the olden days, when people weren't so connected to the internet now, like they are now. People would be location independent by having some type of a sales career. They would basically pick up and go to the next town and sell whatever product that they had or sell some type of subscription service to the local people there, and then they would make some type of a commission off of it. And that's great. But, I mean, sales is only limited by the amount of, I guess, whether or not you can convince somebody to buy something. And my job's not like that. And for those who don't know what my job is, I'm an online English teacher. Before I left Canada to come to Asia, because my dream actually was to be a different type of digital nomad than I am now, I wanted to actually do some computer programming and sit on a beach over in Thailand. And that didn't actually come true for me. But regardless, I had the same results. I mean, I don't make the same money as probably as a JavaScript developer, which I guess a lot of JavaScript developers might make 85 to 100,000 a year. That's USD. At least that's what I'm taught to believe, because you could probably find somebody to, you know, write you a quick JavaScript program for like five bucks on the internet if you really go look for it. Nonetheless, um, online English teaching is—it's a really It's very lucrative because you can basically work whenever you want, set up your own schedule. You could travel in the time that you're not teaching, obviously. So say, for example, you make your schedule, which is what I do, I open my schedule when I wanna work, between, say, Wednesday to Sunday. So Wednesday to Sunday, you're working. Monday and Tuesday, you do whatever you want. It's like your weekend. And people actually use this opportunity to do things like travel abroad. I mean, you don't necessarily even have to stay in the same country if you want to. Somebody who's an English teacher that I know, online English teacher, she was actually doing yoga in India for a while. Uh, but this is before the situation that's happening right now happened. And she was having the time of her life. Uh, but the thing was that, you know, you obviously, there's some things that are, a little bit different about teaching English online. So let me kind of just break it down for you. When you're an English teacher, you need to, basically obviously you need to have a very high level of English skill. Now when you're teaching kids, you don't necessarily have to be a native English speaker. So sometimes they let that slide, especially when you're teaching kindergartens. But you need to be able to teach, you need to be able to explain things in a certain way. Sometimes you need some types of credentials like, for example, a university diploma or a TEFL certificate. So as long as you have these things in hand and you travel far enough away from your native speaking country, you can basically get whatever English teaching job that you want. As far as online English teaching goes, I was really lucky because I actually got on board a company Kind of in its infancy, the company is in Beijing, and they started in about 2015, and I got on board in 2017. And actually, a lot of things have changed since then with regards to that particular company. There's a lot of different companies that you can work for out there if you want to. I mean, I could throw out some names: VIP Kid, Data ABC. These are really popular companies that you can work for. And in the particular company that I was working for, they actually didn't have a kids program yet. And I was just basically chasing people down, trying to get people to go to my class, do what's called free talking, where they make an appointment with you, and then basically we talk about whatever you want. Because if there's one thing about in Asia, with regards to English teaching, is that Asians are really good at theory when it comes to English. They can read really well. They know the answers to problems. They have really, they have impeccable grammar. But when it comes to speaking English, I mean, their skills have a lot to be desired. And I mean, that's a generalization. There's a lot of um, Asians that speak English really well out there. I mean, you know, Filipinos, for example, their English is impeccable, but it's because they have an American uh, education system over there. So there's a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunity if you want to come here, teach in person, or if you want to teach online, obviously the biggest market being China. So you apply to the program just like I did. You find a company that's basically in its infancy, and then you start teaching on it. You show them your stuff. You got to be able to talk. You got to be able to get the students to talk. You got to be funny, or at least... You have to be kind, and especially when you're working with children. See, this is the best part. If you wanna have a job for the rest of your life, this is what I've told people, is you gotta teach kids English. A lot of people, what they wanna do is they wanna teach English to adults, and there's a lot of apps out there where you can teach English to adults, and that's great. But the problem with these apps, and the problem with adults is that adults, they have crazy schedule and sometimes they're a little bit fickle with kids and when you have a an app that caters to only children their parents pay a lot of money to send their kids on these apps to go learn English from you so they don't want to waste that money and there's a lot of pressure for them to succeed learn a lot it's almost like they laugh when I tell them that in America, people get two to three months off during the summer break. And they said to me, wow, my God, I wish that I could get that time off because in that time, even if they get maybe a month off, they just go study and they do something else. Anyway, the point is that you got to be well-versed in technology when it comes to teaching English online. Not really well-versed. I mean... You don't have to, I I know how fast my internet speed is. You know, I know the fact that I need, there's a minimum CPU requirement. I need to have at least four gigabytes of RAM on my device, whether it be an iPad or a tablet or even a cell phone. And actually what got me really intrigued about teaching English online in the beginning was the fact that I could just use my cell phone to make money. I was sick and tired of commuting all the time because at the time when I was really serious about teaching English online, I was commuting a lot. I'd go to some place and it would take me almost an hour to get there and then it would take me like an hour to get back. So I'm wasting my time in traffic for two hours of a day of a 24-hour day. How, how much of that goes towards sleep? So eight hours of sleep and let's say, let's say that you have 14 to 16 hours a day to do whatever you like. You wake up groggy in the morning, go back to sleep, you got to settle down. So that's another two hours that you got to knock off. Anyway, we spend so much time commuting and I was really sick and tired of that at that time. And when I left Canada, my, my dream was to still be sitting on a beach somewhere and using my computer to make money. But... I just found that a lot of the systems that they had, I live in Taiwan, and I mean, not to just talk badly about the Taiwan English teaching system or whatever country that you're going to teach at, but a lot of countries will base their curriculum on books, which is great, but you take that system, you take those books, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to take that information in and put it into people's heads. They have a classroom, they got chairs, and they have a bunch of rowdy students, and they expect expect you, as an English teacher, to make it fun for them. Well, uh, this is uh, another thing about technology as well, about apps, is the fact that the apps will help you to make the school, make the classes fun. You could play games on the apps you know people kids they need visual stimulation you know they don't just if they don't learn like adults if an adult wants to go learn english then they could just go listen to a podcast like the one that you're listening to right now and then they can just pick it up they find some way to relate that information back to them and then they can just spit it back out to you i guess that's learning but you know when little kids are just listening to a podcast or listening to some type of audio information, and they're not able to use it or repeat it back, it just sounds like blah, 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 blah. And you might as well be speaking, you know, Latin, because I guess Latin is a dead language. So the point is that the apps, they make it more fun. And there's even different types of apps where you don't even have a teacher in front of you. I mean, I advocate that there's a teacher in front of you, because that's how I get paid, but... There's apps where you can basically sit your two to five year old in front of them, in front of the app, and they could just play around with it for 15 to 20 minutes, and they can absorb all the vocabulary. They can have simple two to three word sentences, and I'm talking about two to five years old in a foreign country where there's no English teaching at all. So they're they're learning. They're learning with these apps, they're learning with people that that teach online. So if you wanna be a digital nomad, you don't necessarily have to know PHP and JavaScript and HTML and CSS, you can just know English. (laughs) There's actually apps out there as well where you can teach whatever course material you want. My friend was telling me about an app where you have to stay back in Canada or America, I don't know why that's a requirement, but basically, they will, you can teach the course of your dreams online to a maximum of I think maybe nine kids in a class. And each of those kids pay 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks. And these teachers are like the richest teachers I've ever met. They're making 100 bucks an hour, teaching whatever things that they want to. They teach elementary kids about astronomy or they teach them about dinosaurs, you know, A lot of schools that I've been to, they have boring grammar books and they're like, how do we make this fun? Well, yeah, I go look at some videos online about how to play English games with kids and then you just figure it out. That's another thing that when you're an English teacher in a regular classroom, there's a lot of figure it out mentality. So, you know, a lot of my friends back home in Canada, they don't have a job. And I tell them, you know what, I don't have that problem because I'm working. Yeah, I'm still working. But, you know, even if I work six to eight hours of the day, I still can knock off that time of commuting because I'm not commuting. My office is my house wherever I want. You know, I wish that it could be a coffee shop or something, but uh, I (laughs) no, I won't. I mean, in a coffee shop, when you're teaching English, it's impossible for you to do that because of the fact that it's too noisy. There's too many distractions. So they actually have different types of penalty systems too because the only penalties that English teachers understand is if you take away their money. So if your your background is too noisy or if your light is not bright enough or your internet connection is bad, Sometimes they'll take away money that they're going to pay you, and it might seem a little bit rash, it might be a little bit severe, but that's the only thing that they can do because they can't give you a warning. It's not like when you are working at a regular place and they say, okay, well, you better not do that again or else you're going to get fired. No, you're a freelancer. You can do whatever you want. You don't have a boss that's looking over your shoulder saying you need to do it this way and that way, but they want results. So if you want to be an English teacher online, this is a amazing opportunity for people who love education, love teaching, want to have that location independence. So guys, this is the way that I figured out how to teach English online. I hope this was helpful. I hope the information was helpful for you. If you guys have any questions and let me know. I guess there could be some comments or something afterwards. But this is Mike here. And I'm talking from Taiwan and hope you guys enjoyed this. I'll see you guys in the next one.